Hey everybody, it is Adam Blake back with another new PNEU podcast. Uh, and today I get to chat uh, with a good friend of mine uh, that actually helped start and grow Gravel City with me as one of my key my key rep uh, of all my brands. Uh, he reps for quality bicycle products, but has spent some time in the industry with other brands. Uh, he is also a level three certified mountain bike coach and the owner, maybe he has to clarify that to me, but owner of Roots Mountain Bike, which is a coaching program. Um, Jay Thomas, one heck of a guy. Jay, how are you, my brother? Oh, man, I'm stoked to be here. It's good Dude, to see you. Dude, it's so face. good to talk to video. you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's you know? been good to see yeah. you because uh, as people kind of have caught up last uh, show, I'm not in the bike world as much anymore um so i don't get across paths with you as regularly yeah uh, but things that people have seen on fatbike.com lately is a mountain bike festival at levistro mounds labor day weekend uh the fat tire festival up there oh, and yeah. so i got to thinking about you know what we're wanting to do and getting people on mountain bikes and my wife uh jessica took one of your beginner skills clinics in iowa city That's two right. years ago uh, and really has, I think it added a lot of foundation um, and understanding of what she was trying to accomplish on the mountain bike. Things that maybe me as a more avid mountain biker forget the details and maybe forget to mention things because it's become more intuitive. Sure. Um, Jay, where you before, were, you're still a quality bicycle uh, products rep. Uh, yes, yes. But before that, you were at Specialized, at least. Is that correct? Yeah. Where, where yeah. all? How did you get all wrapped up in all this? Man, uh, you know, it started with retail. I was in bike shops and ski shops uh, growing up in, uh, well, I grew up in Maine, but went to college in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. And I was uh, surrounded by little ski areas and ski shops. And if you work in a ski shop in New England, uh, you were also the bike guy in the summer. And then uh, it just started, I ended up uh, helping out um, with a ski demo, which is very similar to bike demos that you've, we've all known in the industry. Um, and I uh, got a job with Atomic Skis and was on the road with those guys as a rep for a couple of years and then went to, um, uh, moved on to Specialized for six or seven years as a demo driver on the East Coast. And then uh, moved into a sales role here where I am now, which is in uh, Eureka, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. And then started with P, I guess, five years ago, a little over five years ago now. Yeah, because you, if I recall, either you had just come on to Q when we were starting Gravel City or we had started Gravel City and you came on pretty quick. Because I'll be honest, I don't really remember... Oh, right. There was no reps before Jay. You know, I don't really remember a rep that a I dealt with too much before you, uh, maybe some other inside people, but you were the first one that I remember regularly being in our shop. Yeah. I think we can maybe uh, thank Rob Versteeg for that one. I always um, thank Rob Versteeg for so many was, things. He was totally involved in that uh, at the time because I remember because I think it was pretty much my kind of uh, learning ways of Q and at the same time, like how are how are you gonna you're gonna build what kind of shop how are we doing like how are we gonna you know have what you need and all that and uh that was but it was fascinating too because we saw it grow so quickly and uh it's exciting yeah i think what was nice because you raced skis right you did downhill ski race didn't you no my wife your wife that's yeah. yes <laughs> i met her at a, at a ski resort um, right but no, nice. I never got into the racing side. I was always kind of into okay. jumping up the stuff. And I think, that. though, point will stand that you coming from the ski and, and us kind of having some varied inputs um, in such a conceptual, uh, at the time, almost untapped thing, you know, at least not as that shop's uh, mantra was little more focused than most things we were learning i think that's why you and i clicked is because like yo i don't i don't have the answers either i don't know what we're doing <laughs> well and that's where i learned everything i know about gravel <laughs> you know right right that, it, you were the only account that i i was working with that was that that was the everything else was extra right uh, 
So you were forced to learn quick. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. And I think that the learning that we do there, you know, we were selling gravel bikes in Emporia, right? But there was a few mountain bikes that started to move there. And I think there's even a few more now that I'm not there that are moving. But I'd like to start with something that I think is a misconception. You know, you can be pretty fit and get on a road bike and be a pretty good road rider. Maybe not racer because there's some tactics. Mm -hmm. You can be pretty fit from running or swimming or skiing, all these alternative things, and be a pretty good gravel racer or rider. There is no substitute for time on a mountain bike, in my opinion. I think that um, things like what you do help accelerate the foundation, but fitness is almost a disadvantage at the beginning until you learn how to ride a bike. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's what I mean. Interesting that you put it that way, but I think that sometimes fitness gives you confidence that doesn't relate to skills. <laughs> Correct, and a uh, skill set in mountain is a specific skill set. Yeah, it it is, and, and like you talked about, Jessica having you know, more success with it and enjoying it more. That's kind of a testament to that. You, not everybody gets the same thing out of a skills clinic. Some people are just there to learn. How do I get my front wheel off of the ground? How do I do a bunny hop or whatever? Other folks just find that getting all this repetition, their body just starts to go into this certain position all the time, which makes, gives them confidence. You know, I can't, I can't give you confidence, but I can put you in the best position so that you'll have success repetitively. And then, then you can kind of move on to other things. Right. Breed some familiarity on what works instead of guessing at what works so that you become to just <laughs> respond to the million inputs that you're getting a, in a moment riding a mountain yeah. bike. Sure. Um, so how long have you had roots? And we'll get in, um, we'll get into like how, the classes work and how even certification for you or for other people that might want to become certified to coach mountain bike, uh, skills, but how long have you had roots for? I started roots in 2014. Okay. So six and a, six and a half, seven years, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I took a class with the, the bicycle instructor certification program, who's is the company that I teach for now, um, as well. I took their, back when they did a level one and level two course, there are three different steps of what they offer for courses for coaches. Most people, level one obviously is the most popular. Level two is for people that are definitely looking to have some kind of a business. And level three is definitely, it's beyond having a business. You're, you're maybe helping at, at a higher level with um, different kinds of athletes and things like that. Um, so I took, I took a two or five, so it was in Bentonville, Arkansas, and uh, it was just, you know, I, I don't know what it was about it, but there was just something that kind of clicked for me. Um, I have a teaching degree. I went to school to be a, a phys ed teacher, and I never did anything with that degree. Like, I went right into retail sales management right out of college. Um, so I forgot. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm kind of a good teacher. I, you know, I can build on this. And once you have some kind of a backing, you know, some kind of a curriculum to follow, it's so much easier. You know, there, there, since I started in 2014, man, I don't think there was anybody teaching mountain bike clinics when I started. Right. Uh, now they're everywhere. Um, right. It's starting to become a little bit more like the ski industry culture where even as a, as a skier who's skied for, I don't know, goodness, I hate to say it, five years now, um, there's still a reason for me to take a lesson. If I go to, you know, if I'm sure. out of like, maybe I want to take a, a bump lesson, you know, a course of some sort. That ski culture, that's always been there. There's always been a ski school and ski lessons, but the mountain bike, you know, the mountain bike trails and parks are progressing so fast that the skill set goes from, uh, I can do 20 miles grinding on cross country to, you know, I got an eight foot wide highway just full of tabletops. That is a different experience. So it might be going fast. So that's, that's kind of what's helped with the lesson side of things. Therein lies. So, so two things that I, I want to point out or build on there is a, I think kind of what I alluded to, I also like educating people on things and training people on this and that, but, um, 
there are certain things that you have to be in the teaching mode to be aware of the little details that really make it from adequate to reliable all the time and like really superior. And one thing, you know, I'll admit when I ride with Jessica, I'm sure there's a disservice because I'm not giving her the full story necessarily that's going through my, you know, it may be like, well, if you lean your hips back or something, but I'm not also saying all these other things that I'm just (laughs) doing now, you know? Um, And I think that being a good teacher, like you said, and having a curriculum is what changed for her, and I'm interpreting a little bit, going to one of the skills clinics for even just a couple hours versus even just riding with good, you know, the old saying was just like ride with people that are better than you, you know, and you're like picking things. Partially that's true, partially. But foundational awareness, uh, I think where that's where it comes in. But here's the thing that I want to kind of just wrap with you on because it's something that I'm very aware of as I have a new bike on order uh, Revel, a full suspension bike, you know, and it's a 140, 130 bike. Uh, it's the Rascal. And the fact that I'm owning a 140, 130 bike yeah. in Iowa <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. you know what the length of travel on the first mountain bike I had on the fork only because it was a hardtail was? Uh, 40. 40? 40. 40. Elastomer <laughs> driven RST. 40 millimeter shock. I then upgraded to a 63 millimeter Marzocchi double air Z1, which was BA. But anyways, I just bought a Marzocchi. (laughs) So here's what my question is. I think the foundational skills are basically the same as far as like weight proportion or, you know, uh, like four and aft on weight and, and body height and, pedal placement and and things of that nature but not only are parks getting way more progressive but bikes are in seven years mountain bikes are not even close to what we had seven years ago as far as how they ride with the bars uh lengths of stems travel tire size all these things that impact the handling of the bike Mm -hmm. how do you have to obviously you ride you race enduro series stuff correct still or is it enduro that you race uh my background was downhill and dual slalom when i was a bit younger dual Uh, slalom but you still uh, do some enduro now right yeah a little bit here and there i try not i try to spend my weekends uh coaching and you have other coaches though that are you have other coaches yeah, have, that are very yeah, have, successful enduro riders. I do. I have four like. women on my team. Uh, two of them just finished. They've each done two or three of the big mountain enduros out in uh, Big Sky and Winter Park and here Iron Mountain, the new uh, bike park uh, just outside of St. Louis, which is crazy to say that. But yeah. Um, so yeah, that is definitely our background. So it, we were the nice part is we're kind of already riding those bikes. You know, right. when, I moved, when I moved from New Hampshire to St. Louis in uh, 2011, I was on a 150 travel front and rear, you know, 26 inch wheel specialized enduro, and people laughed at me, you know. Right. And, uh, now everybody on our trails is riding a 140, 150 ish bike, you know, and wheel sizes are still kind of all over the place, but I think that and man dropper post like that yeah right as much as we all are hate our dropper posts they are it's changed so much how about but, flat yeah. pedals that people can stay on oh i know that's a, you know that, like that's what i'm getting into showing up at our clinics with flat pedals now it's crazy. you know how i go it's down the rabbit hole with me you know and it's like look how would you if you started <laughs> training people at a time when like what would a full suspect, I mean, 180 that, and like a 120 bike would have been like a pretty good sized bike. It, yeah. I mean, not yeah. crazy big, but pretty good sized. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's the thing. It's just like blows my mind because of the progression of the industry constantly that is making these things, um, and these trails that are also, it's both growing, you know, it's like, yeah 
they're both pushing each other. You get these bikes that can be ridden everywhere and people go big. Well, then trails get big because people want to go big. Right. Well, what happened? You know, then. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, yeah, it's interesting to me how like, does your curriculum change yearly or does the like note liners in the curriculum change yearly? Do you get what uh, I'm saying? Well, I would say, I mean, the curriculum, the base curriculum is essentially the same, but I would say every year we're better. You know, we, we do this, we do a handful of, or a few events that we do every year and we can't, and usually half of the people that come to those have went the previous year. So we can't be doing the same stuff. Um, so I coach my coaches as well as what they have to have a minimum of a level two BICP level two certification, which is a certain amount of hours and training and certification courses and stuff like that. Um, but we also do team camps where we don't just ride. We, we go and we talk about how we're teaching. And, you know, this is how we used to teach this, but man, I saw it done this way and this really helped out. And what's, which is kind of surprising because we are, we are, like I said, we're sticking to that curriculum, but you've also got YouTube, which brings in another uh, realm where we're, we're finding that we watch YouTube and we actually get stuff from that, that we can occasionally work into stuff. Like you'll see, uh, and a lot of times it's like a pro rider or whatever, and um, they do their YouTube channel and people generally probably follow them because it's uh, who they are, right? Right. And their riding background, but sometimes there's there's content that you can you can help. We can help our riders get better. So if it means we got to go off the curriculum a little bit, because we're all riding, we're all different people. We all ride different different bike fits, different things work for different people. So as much as YouTube drives me crazy, uh, <laughs> there is also uh, some benefit to that. Um, so. For sure. But the curriculum has to has to kind of stay the same in that, like I want your I want Jessica to go to a, you know, if she ever goes to like a ladies all ride clinic, those massive big women's right. events, to hear the same verbiage, you know, because that's gonna help her versus if she goes and works with another coach that is just throwing out whatever um, terminology they want. And they might be good teachers, but if there's no it's not gonna compare it to, it's just gonna confuse the the client right. So. right 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 having to wade through jargon versus a continent you know a continual message yeah but what about in the case of like droppers like at what point does roots have to you know i mean i would expect that even within the last three years it went from like hey some of you have droppers and that's cool this is what they're for to like okay this is how and why you have a dropper because 98% of you have droppers now. Like you can buy a $700 mountain bike that comes equipped with a dropper. Yep. And, and that's crazy. That, But that changes the whole thing to me. Like not the whole thing, but it is a whole talking point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think uh, it just like, for instance, I won't dig too deep into this because we'll be talking about dropper posts for hours. But when I started teaching, the the way I was taught was everything's taught on flat pedals. No matter what you ride, you teach on flat pedals. All the clients are in flat pedals and everybody lowers their seat. It wasn't drop your seat post. It was literally lower your seat. Like I have a tool if you don't have one, cut it. Right. And now uh, I would say 75% of the people show up and you look, and they've got either they've got a dropper post or they're understandable about dropping the post. But you look, you can tell by people's shoes. Like if if they went out, you know, they read the description of the clinic and then they ran out, bought a set of five tens and a pair, and a, you know, a set of deity pedals or whatever, and they show up and they're brand new at the clinic. And I'm thinking, oh man, I need to find some shin pads for these folks. Yeah. But you've got the other folks that they've got a worn out pair of shoes. And, you know, their shins are a little banged up and you can tell that they never even went to SPDs. But when I was, man, when I was in my twenties and I was really into first kind of getting into mountain biking, first thing I wanted to do was slap SPDs on my bike. I couldn't wait to 50 bucks in college to buy. Dude, it was awesome. Right. And now I, I can't 
imagine clipping back in. That's why I can't imagine riding flats because I never yeah. broke away. And I just, I just do things with my feet attached to the pedals that I don't intuitively do when I'm on yeah. pedals, regardless of how much better. I mean, we're not riding like right shark. What was the shark triple traps, Odyssey triple traps and like shark jaws and bear traps and all like those were meat cleavers for the shin. The yeah. ones now are, but you don't slip off of, you know, like EC, a quality brand, the thump when they have, if those yeah. are running, those have a double concave that your foot really settles in and you can ride like with new tacky shoes. I think that's the other big part. Oh my God. The and, and okay, again, another thing that has really shifted in mountain biking that I feel like in a mountain bike clinic, there's probably preconceived notions of slipping off pedals or this or that, or, you know, it, and how often do you have to be like the where where is your role you know do you want do you try to be on the front side of that because you have an intel of where the the industry is going because you are also a rep do you try to be in the middle of that as uh, to accommodate the most you know i guess i, I guess i don't understand in terms of uh from a coaching um, standpoint or from uh from a adding it as a talking point in a clinic standpoint like not just a mention to where like you're talking about it yeah right um well it really i mean suspension versus hardtail how about something like that too you know the proliferation of full suspension now becoming way more accessible to way more people and way more pedalable everywhere you know when do you when as roots do you um, make it a, a cognizant point, I guess, to like talk about how a full suspension bike is ridden versus a hardtail because it's not the same. Oh, I'd say probably every clinic that comes up. Right off the, I mean, just immediately. Yeah, just because you'll notice we do so much stuff that is based in your feet. So the movement starts in your feet. That's why you as a clipless pedal rider, like I can't even imagine picking my rear wheel up off the ground, you know, <laughs> flat pedals. But if you're if you're stomping down into the pedals and letting the bike rebound, it's already coming up. Right. You're just kind of pulling it a little bit with your feet. Um, so, yeah, I don't. It definitely comes up a lot. And but it, generally, it's hey, if you notice the person, what I'll say is, if you notice the person in front of you looks a certain way or their movement looks a certain way. Well, that's because they're on this style of bike. This bike is going to give you literally a benefit over this style of bike. Um, it's pretty rare when I tell somebody that they should have uh, a hardtail over a full suspension bike. I think the designs have just gotten so good that there are, there are times when you want a hardtail, but there's not many benefits anymore to, uh, you know, it used to be all these hardtails, you know, they climb so much better. They're so much lighter weight. It's like, well, remember that traction thing that we get from, you know, full suspension bikes? Yeah, they're, they stay on the ground more. They don't slip there. They're much better than you think, and they add two or three pounds to your life. You know, so yeah. that stuff comes up a lot. The gear comes up a lot, especially because um, all my coaches are women. So probably sixty percent of our client base is are are women. That's um, cool. And what we kind of do is we provide them kind of an open space to have those conversations because that's not always easy for. Uh, a woman to have that conversation in the bike shop but they come to our women's mountain bike retreat big event for 30 riders down in uh, southwest missouri at a super fun bike park and on saturday night we do gear talks so our our coaches will go out and say hey these are our favorite four or five five ten shoes and the women get to see them and touch them and all that it's just a different a different experience so as much as we um we're coaching them on their skills. We're also, we're doing the right thing by our sponsors too, I think, by offering some education component to this. You know, everybody that comes to our retreats, they're going to know what the new Kuat racks are. They're going to know the 510 shoe, the Smith glasses and that kind of stuff. Because um, it's just a cool way to, to have a very, um, uh, a really good audience, if you will. <laughs> you know? Well, and it's good for them it's to... 
I think it's good for your riders too, as I'm sure through like a weekend, they're seeing improvement, they're feeling improvement. It's nice to have a uh, implied like validity or whatever, you know, reliability and okay, what they're teaching me is working. So not that your recommendation has to be perfect and the end all be all, but at least it's something to stand on again, you know, like if you need a new, whatever, pair of shoes, we all have different feet, but a five tens, you know, going to have qualities that we're, you're telling them they have and how they benefit them in the skills that they're also teaching. I think that's just yeah. tying, we, tying it all together. We try to bring it up because not everybody's going to ask. And that goes Correct. Through, it's gear, it's bike setup. I and mean, you should see some of the brake lever setups we see on some of these clinics. And I mean, goodness, yeah. I had some, I had a, someone come to my clinic uh, recently with a YT, you know, pretty nice online direct-to-consumer bike probably five six thousand dollar carbon bike and the fork was on backwards like that's huffy walmart stuff and this is and it was as, as nice a bike as i'm riding and the person showed up ready to go fork on backwards wow that's scary <laughs> so we we do we got to make sure that things are sorted so we take them through like helmet checks and bike checks before they even get started um that usually leads to more questions like, well, should my levers be here or here? Or what if I'm sitting back or if I'm climbing or something? Yeah, I think uh, some of that is just the awareness that levers can actually be positioned yeah. in a different spot oh. sometimes, or, you know, like, yeah. um, you don't have to the bike shops, how the bike shop differences. Goes. Yeah. You know, everybody's a little different. So, yeah, I think I, I wondered how deep the whole like, I'm sure you have ways to mitigate, but like, you know, what tire should I run? I don't, oh. you know, like, I'm not sure for, you know, here's what we run, but yeah. it's like, you know, part you of this know, is figured out. Most of the clients will give me, uh, that happens for about 45 minutes after the clinic. <laughs> hey, I noticed you're running those. Why do this? Here we go. So I always have to tell my wife, like, I got a two hour clinic. I'll be home in three and a half. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Unless it's so in a town that I'm at, you got to bump another half hour because I'll be yeah, we'll right. have to grab some food. Um, <laughs> um, do you think that uh, the proliferation of we kind of talked about YouTube um, and the goods and bads, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you, you know, you said there's more people um, training now than ever before or coaching uh, obviously, people have uh, access to a form of resources, I guess, at least some, you know, they're a thing uh, that they can watch and stuff. Is that, um, do you feel like people are coming and I'm not, I guess I shouldn't lead into this saying it's bad all the time. Do you think, maybe not the guy with his fork on backwards, but do you think people are coming to you with more information or knowledge about mountain biking, more misinformation about mountain biking or are the people coming to you because they're looking to establish the resource do you know what i'm saying yeah no i i totally get it i think to answer it quickly i would say people are definitely bringing information to me but they usually bring it up when it's different than what i'm saying even if it's slightly oh i saw this video where the person did this and this and this um how do you get around that yeah, you just... That's always a hard, because you don't... It's not like I'm right, they're right, you know, but I'm right right now. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. It, yeah. For us, it's... We make it easy, because we're, we're... All the coaches are teaching the same thing. So, and it's very deliberate. There's a reason why we do everything. Everything builds on the next thing. Um, so it's... That's pretty easy. Like, there's rarely anything that comes across other than things like... Uh, do you drop a drop a pedal in the corners, or do you go flat pedals to the corners? That'll never die. That'll be that's going to be twenty nine or twenty seven five for, forever. Um, but <clears throat> so it, it does come up, and um, but it's not. You can address it, and and sometimes that's why I say like not all of YouTube is bad. The information might be bad, right? But we we don't all absorb information the same way. Sometimes you need a super entertaining, like bubbly, you know, super loud person, high school football coach. I'm not that guy. So 
I, I might have all the knowledge, but my delivery kind of stays like this all the time. Some people I could see wanting, you know, <laughs> that big, sure. you know, that loud push off the kind of uh, voice. But so however you absorb it, however you, you take it in, it's great. But just know and we, we're very deliberate in what we're teaching. There's, we're not just throwing our personal thoughts into this. You know, there's a little bit of that, but it's generally, there's a reason. If there's, if there's a personal experience attached to it, that's just another way that maybe we can relate to something the client's already done. Like if you ever push your bars too far, like a little too late and your front end drops off the drop a little too quick that kind of thing and that just helps them because it not only teaches them what not to do it also uh makes them not makes them realize that it's hard for it happens to everybody yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and it adds a relatability a genuineness yeah. there and that that comes with coaching like we hear the worst thing not the worst thing but one of the hard things for us to hear sometimes or for me to hear is the client will say oh you make that look so easy I'm like, oh, I'm not really trying to make it look easy. I'm just trying to sh- break it down and show you how to do it. So that kind of keeps us in check too, where we as instructors really have to exaggerate what we're doing because um, we don't want we don't want this like air of invincibility. Like when we do everything, that doesn't that doesn't help the ride, the new rider at all. You know? Right. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I think uh, we're gonna take a little break here. Uh, I'm going to come back with Jay and we're going to talk about kind of what you were just finishing, how Roots uh, gets, you know, certified, how they build um, that continuous voice uh, and what it does for a business versus an individual or like, you know, multiple coaches versus uh, somebody just individual if you are an individual, what you can do to either get to clinics or, you know, do the work and learn what that work actually is to be a coach. Um, and we'll couple talk a couple other things. And of course, we'll visit the lightning round. So we will be right back with Jay Thomas after the break. Hey, everybody, we are back with Jay Thomas, Quality Bicycle Products Rep and owner of Roots Mountain Bike, a coaching service for mountain biking skills. Uh, We've kind of talked just in general about uh, how coaching clinics have changed and progressed, adapted to new mountain bikes and changes in mountain biking, uh, things like that. But how did... uh, how does somebody, let's say first, they don't want, they just want to get involved in a clinic. Um, are those hosted by bike shops? Are they hosted by routes? Um, is there a pairing? How, how would somebody get the most uh, up-to-date information on when clinics would be coming around? You mentioned again, uh, you're pretty close to St. Louis. We'll just say St. Louis uh, yeah. for the, you know, more wide audience. Um, so probably not on the far East coast and West coast as much, but in the Midwest, let's say, where do you travel? Some of the information just in regards to roots as a hopeful participant, maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess for us, what would they expect to, sorry to interrupt. And what would they expect? We'll go into the level. Maybe we'll go into the levels and then what they could expect. Uh, so you want to talk about where we're at, like where, where we do our clinics first. Yeah, I think people should know, you know, if they're in Chicago right now, uh, is, is Roots ever around Chicago? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, we are, like I said, we are based in Eureka, Missouri. So we have three coaches in the St. Louis area, and then we have two in the Kansas City area. So we do weekly, like evening clinics in both Kansas City and St. Louis. Uh, for our women's event, we do a women's mountain bike retreat, which is this big event we've been doing since we started. It's our what we do the best um that's in september uh the last week last weekend in september that's also in southwest missouri uh, i usually do at least one to two trips up in iowa and illinois um throughout the year as well where i'll do a whole weekend's worth um, usually one day in one park and another day um, at a different location um, so i did we did the ingawanis uh yeah it's either Waverly, Waverly. Waverly. yeah not too too far from your neck of the woods 
Uh, so we're in, we're all over. So we cover basically that whole Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, Illinois, Iowa range. And are those events, I know when you came to Iowa City, uh, World of Bikes, uh, I was there at the time, we kind of help to promote and, you know, get people to it and stuff. Is that usually the, I mean, the best method for you is to get a, does a shop contact you or do you, how does that work? Uh, it's at this point, they're contacting us uh, for the most part. However, we don't always work with, with a shop to do it. It really depends on if a shop, if a shop wants to do it, it's great because it's uh it's great outreach for a retailer. You know, they're not really selling anything, nor are they making any money off of it. They're just promoting something that um, information and more education through their store. Right. Uh, and we handle everything. So we, we cover all the insurance and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it really kind of depends on the situation. Some shops, sometimes shops want to have them connected, um, but I don't think... Most of the events we do in Missouri, I don't believe we have any or can't have any shops connected to them. Does like a trail organization contact you then? Or does that ever happen where, a, you know, a trail group or like wherever Ken Barker was building those crazy stunts? Uh, yeah. You know, is there ever a correlation or, you know, we've got new trails. We want you to come and do mountain bike skills because we also want people at these new trails. Would that be organized by the trail group? Yeah, uh, it's not necessarily, it's sometimes it's the trail group, but sometimes it's a trail building company as well. They'll want uh, to have an opening night showcase kind of thing. Uh, Ewing Park, yeah. uh, an invite to that opening day uh, when that first opened out was super fun. They have photographers there and all that promote that place. Um, so it, it, it's always a little bit different um, as to how it comes about. I would say for people to find out though, go to their local bike shop and just start asking. Somebody in the shop has heard of a clinic or, or an event, even if it's once a year. Um, there isn't a whole lot in Iowa and Illinois that I'm aware of. Um, I would know because I probably would have certified them as coaches and I can't, I honestly can't think of any, um, at least in the little lower part of either of those two yeah. states. Um, but I wouldn't doubt it's going to start. I mean, uh, with, with some of the newer terrain, like um, what's that interstate power preserve up in Dubuque, I hear. Yeah, proving grounds and stuff is huge. And that's, that's still what's driving it. Um, so when you have, <clears throat> again, that's big, flowy, jumpy trails. And that seems to be driving a lot of what people want to do, um, which is great. It's, it's fun to teach that stuff. It's fun to give people that confidence to go up and do that kind of stuff. Now, the same, by the same token, we do a lot of private lessons too. Like I work with some folks that do Leadville and what they're finding is they've got this huge engine, right? They can go for six, seven hours, but they don't, they're totally relying on fitness like we talked about before. Um, and what you're seeing even up at the Olympic level at this point is Athletes are realizing there's a cap to fitness, but there's really no cap to skills. And if you can add those skills in, you can spend a little less time on that fitness and uh, you'll just roll over stuff that maybe you're overthinking. Yeah, that's why I have to take young kids when I meet them mountain biking, because this old whippersnapper can still rail a corner. <laughs> but if I take them on the open road, they just blow my doors off. You know, it's like, hey, slow down. Wait, let's put some trees in here. Maybe yeah. a couple berms and a table. Well, now we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned Ewing. I mean, and, and just in trails, Ewing Park is a CEDA, Central Trail Association trail here in Des Moines that's like two minutes from my house. And there's a trail line. The first line you see when you go there before cross country, before anything, is Gravedigger. And there's 10-foot tables. I mean, yeah. eight-foot eight tables, I would say, solid multiple. Um, and that's the first feature. Now, there is a BMX track there, too, and a bunch of other cool things, but it, it's not like you really have to be in the know anymore. You know, yeah. back in the day, you had to know the guy that had a skid loader or something that was yeah. really into BMX probably and was building dirt jumps and you could ride your full size mountain bike. Cause now I think that's a big thing in jumping too. These trails aren't uh, 
BMX dirt jumps that we're riding full mountain bikes on because the wheelbase thing really throws that off. This is mountain bike skills parks and jump lines and stuff. And I think even myself, I've been, I mean, I did my first mountain bike race 20 years ago, I guess, to be honest. So I've been riding a little longer than that. Um, I'm just starting to really get into jumping my, I've been jumping my bear grease a lot, honestly, because it gives me a little wiggle room, but um, (laughs) because the jumps and the takeoffs and the angles and the trajectories are much more accommodating to my uh, and technical trails in certain places, my bike is, it feels more like it is built to do them now. Uh, And I feel, you know, good about it. Part of it's following the goldfinch guys too, because you just end up in the air. Uh, (laughs) So be it. But you know what I'm saying? It's not like, yeah, I feel like a lot of dirt jumping was kind of renegade for a while because maybe liability or whatever. Well, and I think you, the builders that built, I don't know if it was who actually did the the park at Ewing, but that was really smart. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time working with uh, municipalities and cities to try and build, get bike parks funded and things like that. And uh, one of the mistakes a lot of them make is they don't put it out in, in the public, you can't see it. Um, you kind of need to open that up to, you know, Ewing's a perfect example. Like you said, you pull into the parking lot and it's like, holy smokes, look at that jump line, you know, straight across that field. You cannot right, miss it. You can't miss it. Um, I've been to great bike parks that are just buried in the woods. And, you know, if you're, if you're selling a city on the economic benefits of building a bike park, you got to be able to sell it a little bit too. Not You can't just rely on the local mountain bikers because there's simply not enough of us. And the investments in some of these parks are, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so, I, I felt like I saw that in Coralville, the flow trails, which uh, Backyard Builders was building. And yep. uh, some of that was, I thought, really coming along awesomely when we moved. And I'm sure it's even better. But every time I'd be there, I'd hear somebody roll up and be like, I didn't even know this was here. Yeah. Because uh, it's a little bit out of the way currently. Now, there's some construction that hopefully is going to open that up in the fields and the park. But yeah, yeah, I think it's, do you think that's an old insurance liability kind of mentality of like i mean it's a big jump you know granted at you mean i see all levels on grave digger just riding that line my wife likes to just ride that line and there's a personal accountability and responsibility that has to come into play but do you think that's maybe part of why some of that techier Droppier, even just you know rugged mountain bike was always the deepest stuff yeah, probably yeah just because they were lot, lot, you know i hate to say it but a lot of it was probably rogue you know rogue. just people right. building stuff in the woods like we're past that we don't you know you want to do that build that on your own property don't go mess with the local mountain bike clubs trail they just spent years and years building these relationships um, especially if they're working with politicians I mean the politicians flip every however many years right so it's that's a never-ending kind of relationship that needs to stay strong is if you want to continue to build more stuff you got to work with everybody a little bit so building rogue stuff or just getting into that the big big scary stuff and just tucking away in the woods versus uh, somehow doing the fundraising and getting a you know McGill fabrication or something like that to come in and do a contract, build this thing, and it's perfect. Barely have to work on it. Um, that's way easier for cities to deal with. Um, now, a little bit off topic too. You were talking about Jessica riding that, and other people that maybe don't normally ride jumps. The other thing they got to realize is that a lot of these bike parks, the green trail, is a jump trail, but there's no. It's not a ski resort. <laughs> it's not you know. At a ski resort, that's the only place you really ski, right? On a mountain bike, if you go to a bike park that's got jumps and things, you can kind of assume that the green jump trail is pretty hard. It's not the easiest thing to run green strider park at your local, your other spot, right? There's there's a little bit different level. Um, I know we run into that a little bit, um, calling 
you know, jumpier trails, green trails, or blue trails. And like, man, I can't ride this blue trail. And it's 40 degree slope. That's rocks, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Jessica found that, you know, she rode uh, bobsled at, up in Cuyuna. And I think it's either a black or a double black there. Um, but Cuyuna, I think, is a more temperate, trail system over i mean there's huge lines like don't get me wrong but they're blacks because it's more of a destination thing because if it's more of a growth oriented place where people you know i don't their blacks are not the same as colorado's blacks and we'll just all you know that's always the whatever black at ewing is not the same as the black in even wisconsin <laughs> you know right um and that is kind of i think does a disservice sometimes on both ways it maybe inhibits people from riding a trail that is black because of this skill but maybe they have that skill but that blue they just can't even do you know what i mean right. because yeah. they don't have that particular other skill yeah that's interesting that you bring that up so you've got three levels uh, of certification as a coach. Yep. Take me through like what level one establishes. You kind of mentioned that like level one is good for um, maybe somebody that just wants to do some coaching, kind of casual, you know, have the knowledge to yep. do a coach. Yep. Two is maybe you want to make a go of it. So you're really refining things. You're learning how to probably build some other coaches. And then three is a, a much more dedicated position, I'll say, just because of the time and uh, everything it takes to get to. But can you give that a little more, uh, say we now got a person that is like, you know, I like teaching and I like mountain biking. Maybe I want to be a mountain bike coach. What's the trajectory for them? Okay. So, well, the, the company that we're talking about is the Bicycle Instructor Certification Program. Uh, the website is icp.bike. And if you go to that site, you can go through and see what each level is. So they teach three different levels. And then there's a bunch of other classes in the middle there that, that are a little bit more specific to certain things like a, like a bike park guide. That person needs a little bit different skills than a level two instructor that lives in Missouri. You know, it's not necessarily, yeah. it's getting a little closer in terms of terrain, but um, the courses are, each course is three days. There's a level one, level two, and a level three. The level one is something you would use um, if you're, you're, say you're at a bike shop and you're, you're the person that leads the, all the rides and they're trail rides, you know? So you all, you're not only taking people out on the trails, you're also able to fix their bikes. You're able to handle their medical issues, things like that. Emergency situations, you've got that covered. Because most of us, most bike shops and whatever are just going to, send their their rider that, know, that can do it on a Thursday, you know. Um, this is a way more structured thing where they would do like a check, a bike check, a little bit more education piece to it, and a little bit of skills. But that's more, this is your braking position. This is your position where you're going around course. How you lean your bike versus steering your bike, that kind of thing. As you get into the level two, you get into way more skills. So level two is nothing but skills. I think it's like 18 different skills. And you have to be proficient at both doing the skill, but also teaching it uh, to a group. And then on top of that, part of the teaching is like with any teaching, you teach the people how to do the skill, you have them roll through and I give them errors and the coach has to figure out what's wrong. So it's a pretty strict uh, testing procedure. There's a written test practical exam it's a very heavy three days uh like eight or ten hours a day each day groups of six people one instructor um so the level and then there's the level three now the level three is you really want to, this is what you're doing you are investing a lot of time in this um there's only probably three level three courses taught in the country a year. So you might be flying to California just to get that certification. Um, I got my level three certification in 2018. And I had to drive to uh, uh, Fayetteville, West Virginia. Um, so those are the three levels. I'm also an instructor trainer for that company. So basically I've contracted out to teach those courses. Um, but that those are the three pieces of it. Um, it's a lot of fun. I do probably five of them in the Midwest every year, and they're any usually just level ones and level twos. Uh, I will be 
helping teach my first level three in Vermont in September. And then from there on in, I'll be teaching some of the other level threes uh, in other parts of the country as well. There's only three of us, uh, if I should say, there's only two people that teach the level threes now. Uh, one is Lisa Scher, who was uh, 10 years on the downhill World Cup circuit, uh, and Shams Barch, who is the, the head of the BICP, and he's a legendary mountain biker, Red Bull Rampage competitor, um, world championship downhiller, masters downhiller. Um, he's, so he's the guy. So I'm, I'll be working with him in September. And uh, hopefully if uh, everything goes well, I'll be able to teach some of the level threes and really get into a little bit more of the advanced. So it's a little confusing in that I have the level three instructor certification, but they're teaching me to teach the level three. Um, so I, I really have uh, enjoyed teaching teachers. I didn't know that that was going to be something I would like as much because I was it's nerve wracking teaching people that are already instructors and already have some kind of a business. And I mean, some of these people have, have been coaching for 10 years. Um, and I got to come in and tell them they're doing something wrong. It's like, oh, well. <laughs> so uh, it's a lot of fun. It's you just kind of figure out what makes the most sense for what you want to do. If you're leading rides, level one's great. If you want to actually get into teaching clinics and helping out other professional instructors, level two is what I would be looking at. For people on my team, I would you need to be at least a level two. Yeah. Um, and that keeps the verbiage consistent. I want them to go to one of my Kansas City clinics with my other coaches and have it sound pretty much, you know, just like what my clinic would sound like. Right. And like you said, it's a... Uh... I think the thing for some people is they only see roots in an isolated, you know, like uh, Iowa city gets maybe a roots clinic once a year, but for a lot of people uh, in the Kansas city and St. Louis area uh, and potentially other people's expectation could be as you crush your cert, you know, you crush that and you start training more level threes um, you know, that could be popping up there. There's people that you're seeing on a weekly basis, right? Or like, uh, barely no, weekly. Not even, not even it's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, we, there are some people, I guess that I talked to, like, I, I definitely get a lot of videos <laughs> sent to me from people that have taken clinics and I encourage that because a lot of times they can send me a video and in 30 seconds we can correct something that they've been struggling with. Right. weeks or months or something like that um but it's not it's surprisingly not as involved as you think i, I mean again i'm a qvp rep i am right. going all the time so this is still very much something i do on the side but that being said i have four coaches you know we did 16 clinics in june and i only did two of them right. so it's, we're we've expanded a little bit in that respect but we have found that midweek clinics like since COVID happened um we went almost the whole year without teaching anything because it, again it's not something we have to do to survive we're just this is fun we're right, right, right. teaching out of jumping bike, you know like there's other it's just we're not going to put anybody in a bad situation um, for something like that so we started teaching just groups of two household when um, mm -hmm. maybe in august of last year or something like that sure um, and what we found is because all those big events weren't happening that um, we do these small events of two to six people. And that was huge. We could easily keep people separated. Um, so that just it went and went and went. And, and at this point, there's three other coaching businesses in St. Louis um, and all of them were just buried in clinics. So there's a lot. <laughs> and that's a network that I've, I won't say I've built, but they're all instructors that have gone through my uh, BICP course programs. Um, so, and it's cool to see because it's the more awareness there is about it, it kind of like rising tides, the whole thing. That's what I was going to say is so I, I think being a person that kind of helped. Get that I, I think mountain bike coaching clinics, you know, as like, yes, more are going to come, but I think that's going to be good for everyone because, um, I would say there's a lot of misconceptions to mountain biking. Like we talked about at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings maybe, or uh, the unknown unknowns probably is the real thing. Didn't know that I don't know. 
but so more <laughs> clinics is better at the beginning and then you know yeah raises all ships like everyone's going to get better as there's more feedback um like you said when you're teaching teachers i would assume that's more communicative in some degrees and everyone's getting better in certain ways because of they picked up things you know you've got a, a construct of course that's why you're training them but to a degree verbiage things like that i'm sure there's at least yeah. oh people use this term we don't yeah. but now i know people use this term for this and i would never even heard that before yeah and i think you know in a weird way that's how i build my community my part you know this bubble like if the other if we can help friends we can help riders that in turn helps bike shops uh we can get different feedback because uh, you know our approach to this is not a, a sales approach in any way we're very open to getting feedback and you know i can tell you countless times where we've had an event you know in bentonville and i've called the you know fat tire bike shop down there and said hey stock up on fox knee pads and they'll right. go through 15 sets of knee pads in the weekend because they see us wearing them and we recommend them. It's like, these work great for this, this, and this. And they have them in stock. And the shop's like, thank you. You know, we had no idea that was coming. Right. And it's to um, me like very symbiotic, you know, in the way that like, I mean, and honestly, without like, you said earlier, shops don't make money. But, you know, if you're a shop that's aware that a mountain bike skills directly. clinic is coming, yeah. people are bringing their bike in to make sure they're ready to go. You know, they're getting sealant, they're getting these things because they want the clinic to be successful. And then after it's successful, if you've done your job too, yep. you should, business should turn out like business. I mean, it, you know, like right. you took care of them. They know things, they want bikes. Well, you're a good place to pick up bikes, you know? Well, yeah, and I think that's that's a result that I don't really think about a lot is that, you know, if we, we do an event for a, a shop and then, the customer is a client of mine, but not of the shop. Now they might have a new customer out of it, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, maybe it's never been in their store. Right. Uh, so. And I think that's just good for mountain biking and people growing in mountain biking, because I don't know anyone that bought their first mountain bike and was like, yep, this is the style even of bike that I like, yeah. you know, like, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? There's yeah. no way. The ceiling is very, very high on mountain bikes because of technologies. There's no way you can get it. Like even the good bike is going to be totally different by the time, even if you love your bike and you never want something different, it's going to fail at some point yeah. out of you crushing on it. And then it's going to be a whole new world of stuff, you know, because it's been five, six years or whatever minimum. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jay, I think um, I think it's time for the. We don't really know why I shoot guns for the lightning round. Great effect. But yeah, oh yeah, get you ramped up, huh? Uh, this is the lightning round. It is uh, basically four. Sometimes I come up with a fifth rapid fire kind of short answer questions. Do you feel prepared? Yeah, that's awesome. Good, good response. <laughs> All right, here we go. First question. What do you think is the most overlooked mountain bike skill? Or maybe not overlooked. You can interpret this a little bit, you know, undervalued. Uh, cornering by far. Cornering. Yep. Yeah. And everybody, uh, can, everybody can get better at cornering. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what level you're at. Um, when you're riding good you're feeling good what's your favorite trail to be on in st louis let's just say let's just talk about a st louis area trail uh man favorite trail to be on here it's gotta be zombie zombie just and what's the overall trail system that that's a part of zombie is part of uh i guess it rock hollow i believe is what it's what it's called it's a network of probably 12 or 13 miles of trails cool interconnecting on a on a paved bike path Oh, that's sick. Yeah. Really accessible. Super bouncing fun. and out. Yeah. Super fun spot. It's it's the best, one of the best we have here in town. 
when you're having a bad day on the bike, what is your least favorite trail to be on? Where you're just like, oh, God, why did I even choose to ride this trail oh, today? Oh, for sure. <laughs> what is it? The Chub Trail. <laughs> the Chub Trail is our oldest, roughest, gnarliest terrain we have. It's great for enduro racing. But, man, if you're having a bad day, it gets exponentially worse <laughs> yeah it Anywhere used to be it. hell trail for me at sugar bottom it's just like if i was having a bad day it wasn't even the most technical it's just like i'm not riding this trail i don't want to do this today i'm done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you only had one bike to cover all your mountain biking needs across the entire country i know this is like one of those tough ones what would the travel front and rear be uh probably 150 front and rear 150 150 yeah I'm on a 160, 140 bike now. and Just level it out? Yep. <laughs> just I'm telling you, 150's been my, my jam for a long time, and I love it. I, you know, isn't that just crazy? Like, I know for you, you came from a little bigger stuff, but to me, to even, like, consider 150 bikes, it just blows my mind. And yeah, I, mean, I really like a 140, 130, 130, 130, or 140, 130, depending on where I'm riding it. This is really a good bike for me in all conditions. For most people, I would say that's 140, 130. It's a pretty nice spot right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, After a hard day coaching, what's your favorite snack? Snack or meal? Um, Let's say meal is fine too. Meal is fine. I gotta go go burritos, man. Um, Like you can never. I'll never get upset about a burrito. I agree. Breakfast, I lunch, dinner. Yeah, even if it's bad, it's still pretty good. Yeah, it can't be that bad. <laughs> I know the main components, <laughs> and I'm for all of them. Yeah. <laughs> even the worst. Well, that's exactly what I thought it was. Uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right, and the last one. If you had to give an advice, a piece of advice – to a person standing at the top of their first good-sized jump line, what would it be? Um, man, top of their first big jump line. Yeah, that's a tough one. I would probably tell them to I'll make sure I have roughly the right thing to say here. No, but it's it, first thing pops in your mind. Man, I for me, it's always feet. Remember My your feet. feet. Don't start it by the pull-up. Start it with your feet. I'd let say the bike, let the bike send it. Rebound. No. You <laughs> saying that, you saying that is why I continue to have a thriving coaching business. Yeah. <laughs> that's wait, that. that's not the best recommendation to somebody yeah. who's maybe a little nervous at the top but of their yeah. first big jump line. You keep using it. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll say send it i'll pat them on the back and i'll have your business card business. yeah and just let them go hey go. jay you yeah. survived the lightning round that was tough yeah. though huh i was sweating i'm not gonna... yo i'm perpetually a little sweaty but we'll get through it yeah jay hey man um i really appreciate you uh, on pretty short notice giving me uh your time and chatting with this uh like i said for me uh the real catalyst is fatbike.com and some of that crew we are hosting a, a mountain bike festival and you know you probably won't have time to get to one of jay's clinics but mountain bike festivals just by and large to me really yes. changed my whole perspective of cycling um yep. the camaraderie and the ability to go to places and exist in trails and having a foundational skill set, um, you know, was imperative to feeling comfortable going to these new places, having maybe one shot to ride tra- a certain trail in the weekend, you know, two at the most maybe, um, but feeling comfortable and confident and fulfilled uh, peripherally, you know, not just from the clinic. Uh, Jay, where can people find Roots Mountain Biking? We don't have to give out you personally. I'll go ahead and attach your cell phone number on the header. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding about that. But where can they find Roots Mountain Bike? Um, Instagram, Facebook, that kind of website, that kind of stuff. Okay, website is rootsmountainbiking.com. If you just Google Roots MTV, that's the first thing that comes up. Um, 
YouTube channel is Roots MTB as well. Uh, Instagram at Roots Mountain Biking, and then again Roots Mountain Biking on Facebook. Pretty uh, consistent. We're doing a yeah. YouTube video series as well this summer that talks a lot about. Uh, it's called the Road to Research, and it's me going through all these skills for this level three certification. So you kind of want to see what it's all about, you'll get a little bit of a taste of, of what we do and how it works. YouTube cool. is hard. I'm a much better coach than I'm a YouTuber, I promise you. Well, I'm learning. <laughs> you're doing great on this. Uh, um, and then for people who want to get to clinics, the best advice you can say right off the bat is, regardless if you're in the Midwest, East Coast, West Coast, wherever, uh, go to your bike shop and engage somebody about helping you develop skills because if they're not interested like i'll throw this out there if they're not interested in hearing about you wanting to further your skills and they don't want to be a part of that you need to go to a different bike shop <laughs> yeah i'm gonna I, say I, that out loud bike shops because they want you know because that's you're just it's good karma right everybody I, get I, I, everybody I, I, wins when we're all happy riding <laughs> bikes yeah. All right. Hey, I'm Adam Blake. I'm on AM Blake 50 on Instagram. It's a lot of food, but occasionally I'd ride a bike still. It's been pretty fun lately. Um, I am on the number one site for not just fat bike information, mountain bike stuff is coming, tire sizes, tech stuff, gravel stuff, bike packing stuff, food stuff fat-bike.com you know where it's at because you're listening to the show but tell your friends i'm adam i thank you for listening jay i appreciate your time buddy thank you so much i had a great time yeah everybody keep the uh wheels on the ground unless you're on a sick jump line <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon bye thanks Mom.